0: CHAPTER 18 OF CARPENTER'S GEOGRAPHICAL READER ASIA BY FRANK CARPENTER This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Mongolia and Manchuria We might continue our travels northward through the Great Wall and explore Mongolia, but to do so we should need a caravan of camels, and the trip would last many months mongolia is one-third as large as the whole united states and most of it is composed of the high windy desert of gobi where one might wander for days without finding water we meet mongols at the pass through the wall they are on camels and are carrying brick tea north to urga their capital which is six hundred miles from where we are now they are a stout people with rosy faces of a copper color and features much like those of our indians they dress in sheepskins with the wool turned inward and have gowns and caps lined with fur the men women and children wear boots which reach to their knees and all look greasy and dirty there are several millions of these mongols they are a nomadic race who range the desert with their camels horses and sheep they dwell in circular tents of skins or felt stretched over a framework with a hole in the roof to let out the smoke their only furniture is small tables and the boxes or chests containing their clothing, the latter being placed around the walls on the inside of the tent. The Mongols live largely upon mush and cakes, made of the meal of millet, buckwheat, or oats, mixed with milk. They eat meat only on festal occasions, killing a sheep when they have guests. They do not use chopsticks, but eat with their fingers and spoons. They cook over the coals, and a favorite dish is a soup made of milk and brick tea, enriched with butter. A far different country from Mongolia is Manchuria, which lies to the east of it between Korea and Siberia. It is a province of China, and its people are largely of Mongolian descent, although they have mixed with the Chinese and become semi-civilized. They are taller and stronger than the Chinese we see in America, and more hardy than those of most other parts of the country. There are about 16 millions of them. They have hundreds of villages and also cities of considerable size, the largest being Mukden, situated in the heart of the province. Manchuria is one of the richest parts of North Asia, and it will at some time support many millions more people than now. It is 10 times as large as the state of Indiana, and its soil, almost everywhere, will raise wheat, corn, barley, and oats. It produces vast quantities of beans, and especially a sorghum or millet, the seed of which is the chief food of the people. This crop grows eight or ten feet in height. It looks like Indian corn, save that the grain is found at the top. The stalks are cut off close to the ground, and the seed is threshed out by a stone roller drawn by an ox, donkey, or mule, which tramps around over the straw. The grain is ground to a flour and is eaten like rice the fodder is used for feeding cattle and horses and also for fencing bridging and hut building the leaves are woven into mats and bags to hold grain while the roots are sometimes plowed up and collected for fuel tobacco is grown in the northern part of the country and in the south are produced vast quantities of the silkworms which spin the coarse fiber from which pongee silks are made these worms do not feed upon the mulberry but upon the leaves of an oak tree, which covers the hills of southeastern Manchuria, the trees being cut back every few years to furnish new growth. The cocoons are shipped to Japan and to Chifu in China, where the weaving is done. In northern Manchuria are great forests and pasture lands, where the grass reaches a height of six feet, compelling travelers to cut their way through. Here horses, mules, oxen, sheep, and goats are reared. The land is rich in minerals, having gold, silver, iron, copper, and lead. Indeed, it should be one of the most prosperous parts of the world. But suppose we make a short trip into Manchuria and visit the capital. We've returned to Peking and taken the train, which goes north through that country, to the Trans-Siberian Railroad, forming a part of the trunk line from China to Europe. We ride all day across the Great Plain, passing the Kaiping coal mines, about three hours from Tianjin, and stopping 80 miles farther on to look at the Great Wall of China, where it ends at Shan Hai Quan on the edge of the sea. The wall there is as strong as where we visited it at the Nankau Pass, but a breach has been made through which our train goes. Leaving Shan Hai Kuan, we enter Manchuria and travel all day over a rich country, much less thickly settled, than those parts of china where we have been we find soldiers at all the stations and in some sections there are guards on the cars this is to protect the passengers from the terrible huang hutzis tribes of brigands who sometimes rush forth and hold up the trains there are many such in northern manchuria they live in the forests from where they now and then make raids to rob or blackmail the people They force the villages to pay tribute and frequently take travelers captive and hold them for a ransom. We are delighted with Mukden. It is not so large as Peking, but it has great walls about it, and in its center is a second enclosure surrounding the old palaces of the emperor and the new government offices. As we have already learned, the imperial family of China was of Manchu or Tartar descent. The ancestors of the emperor having once lived in Mukden. The population of the country is now a combination of Manchus and Chinese, and Mukden has many tall, broad-shouldered Tartars who remind us of the Mongols we saw along the Great Wall. The Manchu women are handsome. They look us straight in the eyes, their feet are not bound like those of the Chinese women, and they walk through the streets with firm tread. Among them are many rich ladies dressed in silk coats lined with fur, which fall to the ankles, and below which show out silk pantaloons. They paint their faces white and tint the cheeks and eyelids with red. They have gorgeous headdresses, wrapping the hair around thin plates of gold or silver two or three inches wide and ten inches long, in such a way that it stands out in wings on each side of the head. Their shoes are like stilts, having a high support under the instep. The children dress like their parents. We spend much time walking the streets. Mukden has miles of one-story booths, back of which are warehouses filled with fine goods. There are long streets devoted to the making of ornaments of silver and gold, and some to the manufacture of copper and brass. There are streets of shoe stores, with great boots hanging out at the front as a sign of the business and quarters where caps only are sold. We see peddlers selling false hair to be braided into the queue to make it seem longer. Black silk is also used for this purpose. Mukden has many fur stores. It has more than 40 tanneries, and leather and fur are to be seen everywhere. The city is one of the chief fur markets of Asia. The forests of Manchuria are full of wild animals, and the raw skins and furs are brought here for sale. Among the furs are those of tigers and leopards, sables, beavers, and wolves. We see many dog skins and are told that there are dog farms where the animals are bred for their skins. They are killed just before spring while their hair is still long. The best skins make beautiful rugs, and we learn that many of them are shipped to America. During our stay in Manchuria, we take a trip north to Harbin, where we go through great flowering mills, equipped with machinery made in our country harbin is in a rich grain-raising region at the junction of the chinese eastern and the trans-siberian railroads it has many russians and we ride out in droskies to see the country about we also visit kirin another large town surrounded by forests it has sawmills and lumber establishments it is situated on the Sungari river and is connected by railroad with the trunk line of the Trans-Siberian Railroad. End of Chapter 18